You're listening to Steal My Strategy, the show where we talk to smart people who invite you to copy, review, and remix practical ideas you can apply to life and business. Are you ready? Let's get to it. Thanks for tuning in to another special episode of Steal My Strategy. As we were looking back at season one, we realized that there's another common thread woven across five different episodes. That thread was how to understand and connect with your target audience better. So in today's episode, we're going to listen to five different strategies you can use to connect deeper with your audience. First up, we have Adam Benzman, one of the top copywriters and marketing consultants in the country, talking about how to differentiate what your audience want and versus what they need. When you have you know, advisors who understand deeply the types of needs that their clients have and they want to do marketing, they start you know, generally wanting to focus on those needs. Here's all the things you need. Here's all the things we do. See how all the things we do align with all the things you need, but it's not necessarily what people want. Mm-hmm. So that ability to find out what they want and build a hook around it. Let's just take one of your examples that you used. Let's say it's a, a high earning technology entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Now, my goal is to shift my mindset from building an offer that I is around something I like to something that is around what they want. What mm-hmm. type of exercise can I do to figure that out so that I have a way to go forward and hopefully craft something that I can test that it that becomes irresistible? Love it. This is a great question. So what we have here is a difference of want and need. And when we start boiling down the differences, the key thing, and I'm gonna give away some of the secret sauce that I get to the privilege of working with a snappy cracking team on some of the, the offer development, campaign development, is what we do with the team is we talk about a search trigger. So here's what I mean. And this is a uh, approach that I have kind of developed on my own is understanding there's an acute symptom. So a search trigger, let's call it a symptom. It's something that came up in someone's life. The more acute that symptom is, the more willing that person is to find a solution. So if, for example, um, I get, I just cut myself shaving. So if we're on camera, this little neck, that's on my throat, right? Could have been scary if it was a big one, but there's nothing there. So this little symptom, this cut, I'm not really going to do anything about it, right? I put a piece of toilet paper on it. I'm good to go. Meanwhile, if I had sliced myself pretty good, I'm probably going to do what? Go to the hospital. Meanwhile, if I had a small rash on my neck and then it grows and grows, I'm I'm getting nervous. I'm getting nervous. But the time that the rash grows from my neck to taking over my face, I'm in the ER. Okay. So what is the same type of thing going on in the mind of our prospect? What is the symptom? The more acute it is, the more likely they are to seek a solution. So an advisor may say, Hey, I really want to capture these young high earners. They're earning multi six figures. They've got all these stock options and and uh, unique comp plans from their from their big companies they work with. And I want to get them young because I know in a few years they're going to be worth millions, and I can help set them up for retirement. Okay. Now there's the thought you know, process. What was that? I said that's the thought process. Yes. And and meanwhile, the young techie is not thinking that long term. He or she is thinking what? I'm making more money than I know what to do with. How do I not pay taxes? How do I set this up for my family later? By the way, you always know in order, in sequence, the setting up, this isn't what's keeping him or her up at night, okay? They literally don't know what to do with it. So when we address their core concern, which is I'm making more than I know what to do with, which would be a great offer, a great hook. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. how do I minimize my tax exposure? What are some creative things I can do? 
then later on leading with, again, what they need, which is getting set up for retirement, becoming uh, the, the, the nomad who retires at 40 and has a yacht, you know, everyone's dream. That'd be great. So at any rate, that's the difference between what someone needs and what they want. So what I would ask you is what to, to look through, if you need a tactical execution plan, sort through your email inbox, dig into your text messages, dig into your brain and find what questions people ask you first. It's the easiest way to get real world feedback without guessing because oftentimes we make the mistake of trying to predict what someone's thinking or feeling and we project too much of our own knowledge and expertise and it clouds our judgment next we have brandon voss who's the president of the black swan group a strategic business advisory firm that focuses on business negotiation let's listen in as he talks about why labeling positive and negative emotions helps you align with your audience positive emotions are always reinforced when we label them. Negative emotions are always diffused when we label them. Now, those are opposite, right? We're doing the same action. We're labeling a piece. And in one case, it enforces it. But if we label it here, it doesn't reinforce it. It actually diminishes it. It makes it go away. And that's actually how emotions work when it comes to labeling positives versus negatives at the table that's really hard to wrap our minds around because we're always afraid of introducing negatives. Yeah. And I, I don't know how many negotiation experts throughout time have said and interviewers and PR people have said, you never introduce a negative, never, never, never introduce a negative, right? They're going to, they're going to burn you over that. Introducing a negative and addressing a negative that our counterpart already sees as being true are two slightly different things. And the latter, addressing what they see as true, again, goes back to this elephant in the room thing, diffusing negative obstacles so that we can start to collaborate much better. And so then addressing the negative head on by labeling becomes much more of a requirement than a nice to have. So stay curious. That'll help you from getting triggered. Uh, keep your tone. That'll help you keep your tone up. Mm -hmm. and, and label everything the negatives that they bring out label those you don't have to introduce your own but also label the positives because the weight will be added to the positive thing that's exactly right that's and exactly when you say right. labeling what do you mean by that yeah so label is just simply a, a verbal observation or a verbal statement that actually starts with it seems like it sounds like it looks like or it feels like we go into great detail in the book so i won't waste the time with it here uh but the but the purpose is continued alignment, continued understanding, but more than anything else, right? We've always talked about active listening and negotiation and no one really knows what active listening is. A lot of us uh, equated to, well, keep your ears open and keep your mouth shut and I'm actively listening. And that is not what active listening is. Active listening has much more to do with, can I not only pick up on the subtleties in what you're telling me, but then verbalize it so that we can create trust-based influence. And then kind of what, what goes along with that is, am I doing a good job prompting you to tell me the things that I need to know? And that's where active, active listening is very much something we have to participate in with our words mm -hmm. and being able to label and prompt the right information. We had a, a real estate uh, client of ours that described labels as 
the best way to unlock the floodgates of truth talk. And so we want to get that gate open as often as we possibly can. A label is a great way to do it without a whole lot of mental effort on our side, because we're just labeling what they give us and we're not creating it from scratch. Next up, we have Steve Sims, who's the visionary founder of the world's first luxury concierge service. Here he's talking about triggers and impact. If I'm a financial planner or advisor and I, I want to connect with more affluent people in meaningful ways, open doors, how can, I, how can I do what you just described more effectively? All right. So you've got to focus on triggers and impact. Okay. Um, do you like wine? I do. You do. Do you like country music? I do. Do you like line dancing? No. Well, okay. I can watch it. I'm just not a good dancer. <laughs> So just imagine I set up a line dancing experience for you to compete in a national line dancing convention with the top line dancing person in the planet. Not interested. But it's, it's the top line dancer in the world. This will be in a national stage where all, all eyeballs will there be the Olympics of line dancing. Are you not interested? I'll just look like more of a fool in front of more people. You see, it's only of impact when it impacts you. The first problem have, uh, people have is they design the event for themselves, okay? They design the decor, they design the music, they design the food for them. It ain't about you. In order for you to create impact, you've got to know what's going to trigger the other person. You said you like wine. Now, if I had a sommelier there, introducing you to different wines from like Ukraine and Cyprus you've never heard of, the wines you've never heard of that yeah, are like $5. You know what it's like when you travel and you have like a cheap-ass bottle of wine and it's the best bottle of wine you've ever had, okay? Just imagine if you that's creating impact, isn't it? Yes, it is. So what I focus on is any event I do, I look at how can it trigger you? How can it wake you up in two years from now and go... Do you remember when I did this? Now, to some people, competing in a national line dancing competition after being professionally trained by the world's top line that's a dream to them. To you, you couldn't care less. So stop thinking about you when you plan an event. Think about your community. I do an event, and I'm not pitching it, um, but I am pitching the concept. Take the concept. I do a reverse mastermind called a speakeasy. And my speakeasies are 40 entrepreneurs and a bunch of my friends. And we get together and we discuss different trends in marketing, brand, whatever's necessary. But here's the thing that I do that a lot of events don't do that should. Anyone that ever buys a ticket to my event, we contact them. And we go, hey, thank you very much for subscribing to our next speakeasy. Why did you do that? What's your biggest bottleneck at the moment? And we find out what's happening for them. We find out what the trouble is for them. If I can find an element of pain that they've got and make sure at my event it's removed, how many times are they going to come back? How powerful is that going to be to them? Just imagine I answer your problem. Now, this has got nothing to do with money. You know, and I literally have people going, I can't believe you only sell this, this event for $2,000 a ticket. I can't believe you should be charging 10 grand. 
again, if I talked about something that wasn't important to you, two grand is too much money. You know, $500 is too much money. But if I can answer your problems and save you a couple of years, two grand is a steal. So focus on the person. If you're doing an event for your clients, what are the age groups of your clients? Send them a questionnaire. What would make this a great event for you? And if you've got those answers, give them that. So focus on the client. Stop thinking about it for you. Next is Ekaterina Walter, who's a business and marketing innovator, international speaker, and author. She shares how you can boost creativity through storytelling. Our audience is primarily financial advisors. We're, we're talking about analytical thinkers. They tend to be focused on things that can truly be quantified, not a lot of creative amorphous concepts. And a lot of people think of creativity that way. Like, well, I'm not an artist. You know, I'm not a professional marketer. So should that hold them back? Oh, no, absolutely not. You know, if you look at I appreciate you saying that I'm a super creative person when we started this interview. But if you really look at sort of my strengths and weaknesses, I've always partnered with a creative, somebody creative, creative director um, to really bring out visual elements a little bit more. Can I do it myself in, in amazing tools like Canva? Absolutely. So can your financial advisors. They're literally like foolproof, great visual things that you can create for any channel um, at any point without too, spending too much time on it. Create a couple of templates, visual templates, reuse them as you, as you move along. So, so when I look at it and, and I get that question, my immediate response, anybody can do it. Anybody can be creative. The hard part is what we believe are our limitations and what limitations are, especially in B2B spaces. Oh, well, we don't sell to, we sell through. So our storytelling is not as exciting or, or sexy as it could be in B2C versus B2B, right? And, and I, I say it's, it's just such a horrible excuse. Think about everything that, that comes into your storytelling. You are sitting with a customer, right? And you're, you're advising them on certain things. Probably within that hour, they ask you 10, 15 questions. Write those down. Write those down. And for probably about five of them, and I'm being conservative, you have data, right? So if you have data, throw up a chart. Heck screenshot, uh, you know, the basic Excel spreadsheet that you have on your computer and tell a story around that. It doesn't really matter how, you know, how much you invest in the creative part of it. What matters is what story you're going to tell. I mean, heck, I know, I know influencers who have plenty of resources, yet they take, um, they take uh, post-it notes, write down their quick thought on post-it notes, take a picture, uh, of it on their desk and they share. So whether it's data, whether it's stat, whether it's quote, it doesn't really matter. So my what I challenge people to do is if you don't think your product is sexy or interesting or have a ton of stories, approach it differently. Look at the perspective of your customer, look perspective at your, of your partner, ask your spouse, hey, I've been talking to you about it for the last five years. If you are to engage my services, what would be the most interesting thing for you? And then visualize it in a snippet, tell a short story, right? To accompanying it and then say, hey, come talk to me. I, there, there is more data that I can give you. There is, there is more we can talk about. It's, it's, it's all how you look at it. So this whole excuse of, hey, my stuff is boring or I don't have a ton of stories to tell. It's no, not gonna fly. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's right. No, I love your passion around that. Last but certainly not least, we have Robert Sophia, the host of Steal My Strategy, who was a guest on Dr. Daniel Crosby's Standard Deviations podcast, where he talked about how to create content that blends out. So what are some, give us some nuance around evoking emotion. How do you do it and how do we walk that line? Yeah. Well, you mentioned a really important factor is the brand identity itself and the values of that brand and what they're known for. And some companies have tried, but it falls flat because people see right through it, to your point. So it has to be authentic. That is definitely one key. And yeah, you you have to avoid the cheesy cliche efforts to evoke emotion. But the, the ways to do this really positively, like just just for some examples, um, I'll use some from outside our industry, which I think are always helpful to learn from and, and some from inside the industry. But always deodorant. Okay. What is emotional about deodorant? Well, pretty much nothing. I mean, <laughs> If you stink, I guess that's a bad emotion you can evoke <laughs> in people. But, but you know, they they went deeper than that. They thought about how teenagers start to need deodorant. And they thought about how girls, especially, have a major drop in self-esteem in their teenage years. They lack confidence. A lot of that has to do with image. So what did they do? They launched a big campaign. It's one of the best campaigns of all time, in my opinion. It's called the Like a Girl campaign. And the whole campaign was was using that expression, which is a negative expression. Oh, you throw like a girl. Mm-hmm. And they made it an empowering expression where they made like a girl a powerful war cry, a chant to boost girls' confidence to turn a negative into a positive. And this whole campaign, like a girl, had all these young, strong girls doing strong things about confidence and this deodorant. But it was it was massively successful for them. So that's an example of something that you might not think you could evoke emotion with, but they did very successfully. One of the things here, one of the nuances is, of course, evoking positive emotions associated with your brand is, is the key. So now let's, let's talk about advisors. We wanted to do a campaign targeting people around our age, 30s, 40s, income earners with children. And the campaign was around the cost of raising children. Now, the way most companies approach something like this is they start getting pictures of families with kids and they start talking about, you know, they'll they'll use all the typical imagery. You know, here's the let's use the the cap, the college cap, because we're going to talk about college expenses. It's literal thinking. Well, what we did is we we said, what are positive emotions from the childhood of people like this Mm -hmm. in our age group? And we we landed ultimately on video games and then Pac-Man. And then we created an entire campaign with imagery that was basically the little kids' heads through different age groups, eat like almost like Pac-Man style, eating, eating money, eating money. And it's a little animated campaign. And then in between the money, there's, you know, they they go from child to adolescent and you see the expenses increasing. And it was, it was an educational campaign about the cost of raising children, but it was designed like a game that was nostalgic, that brought back fun memories from childhood. And the engagement on that campaign was through the roof for our clients. It was through the roof. They got more clicks. They got more reads. They got more inquiries. We took emotion. We used it in a positive way. And that's just those are just a couple of examples. But you, it takes a measure of creativity. It takes a measure of really knowing your audience. And and when you do that well, you know, really magic can happen. 
Well, what's I think there's a couple of cool things about about the example you just gave. I it, it strikes me that it combines a couple of your principles, right? So one is you got to bypass that filter. You know, you see the sailboat, the compass, the mountaintop, the college grad cap, and you just kind of go like, yeah, like I've seen this before. It's easy. It doesn't get past the mental filter because it's so it's so expected. So you bypass the emotional filter and once uh, the mental filter rather. And, and when you're there, you appeal to this nostalgia, which is, of course, deeply emotional. And, you know, the other thing is it, it just takes a, a modicum of of time an effort, it feels like, to just say, okay, we're not going to do the typical thing. We're not going to do the obvious thing. Let's get some smart people in a room and figure out something that's slightly less obvious. Uh, it, brilliant, brilliant campaign. Why does understanding your target audience matter? Advisors are hungry to connect deeper with their clients and prospects. And using these five strategies will help narrow down what makes your audience tick. Not only will it build your credibility, but it'll grow your practice and position you above everyone else.